Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Hot Pursuit. Thanks so much for joining us again on another episode of Hot Pursuit. I will start out at the top this time and remind you, you can email us. Hannah, what's the email address? It's hotpursuit at Bloomberg.net. It's hotpursuit at Bloomberg.net. B-E-R-G-N-E-T. And we do, at least I respond. So Yeah, oh, um, we we will we will email you back if you're not spam. We'll take your questions seriously <laughs> and suggestions are always uh, welcome. Um, I want to just run through what we're going to talk about today quickly because um, it's not much beyond um, our interview with Emily Miller. She of the Rebel Rally, she of King of the Hammers and so many other uh, rally firsts for women. Um, very cool. And the whole uh, industry. She's a queen. Yeah, a- absolutely. But we also have a new Porsche to talk about right. coming Be- and an old Jag to talk about that I new just Porsche drove. old Jag. Yes. Let's kick it off quickly with the new Porsche because the news broke this week. Mm-hmm. The electric Macan is out. Porsche has announced um, it will be arriving halfway through the year in 2024. And we do have some specs and numbers on it. Um, it's exciting. I mean, it's like maybe a couple years late. I mean, this is yeah, only. Exactly. We've been waiting is, forever. Well, this is only Porsche's second all electric vehicle. And it's been 10 years since we saw. The, the first Macan, the combustion engine Macan, come out. So, um, yeah, it's I'd say it's about time. Yeah, I think it's very cool. Um, I love the sort of tall station wagon um, package of these SUVs or crossovers or whatever you want to call them. Um, and I think the Macan has been a laggard in, yeah. in its class. It doesn't have a V8. Um, and this is kind of an equalizer electric electrification. I think it will be very interesting to see how it does. Um, of course, Macan is a is a great selling vehicle for Porsche, it's second only to the Cayenne last year, I believe. And this new Macan, the electric one, is boasting over 600 horsepower, which is considerably more than the Macans that we see that are in the 400 range. Um, it's a lot heavier than the combustion engine Macans. It weighs over 5,000 pounds. So. Um, it's heavier, more horsepower, same towing capacity, about 4,400 uh, towing capacity range. And um, we have yet to see full EPA numbers on how efficient it's going to be and, and um, mileage. But, yeah. I mean, if it goes the way it's been going, uh, it'll be not as much range as a Tesla, but <laughs> probably way more fun to drive and Neither of them will come close to the kind of range that she, that Chevy and GM are giving us in their electric vehicles, but they have gigantic battery packs. Um, I wonder, the electric Macan is really interesting, and I, I can't wait to see it. We don't really know enough about it yet. Um, obviously, we won't be able to drive it for a long time. I wonder your take on the segment in general, Macans, and also uh, the Cayenne, and why does Porsche, which is famed for a flat six, put a super boring V6 motor in these. Like, why not at least drive a Macan with a boxer engine? I don't know. 
I've That's never great, understood that. It has to come down to money, right? Yeah. I mean, it has to come down to efficiencies of scale and also sharing within within the family, within the group, within the Volkswagen group. It has to come down to that. I have to believe that. But it is difficult to really feel an emotional draw to these SUVs, even though they are Porsches. Yes, and they do sell well, and we need them, you know, to pay for other vehicles that are being made. Right. I drove yeah. a car this week that I think blows away the Macan hmm. or wow. uh, Audi, uh, BMW, Mercedes, any other sort of small SUV, and that is the Jaguar F-Pace SVR. That's a car I haven't thought about in a long time. I haven't even really thought about the brand, to be honest, in so long. I mean, they went from these really cool XJ6s and, um, you know, the XK12 to to kind of nothing after um, they went from Ford to Tata. I think the cars they released were boring. It was cool that Idris Elba was driving one, but otherwise... Yeah. Not... I've been watching reruns of The Wire. I mean, Idris Elba is always cool. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the F-Type itself was exciting for a moment, and then I didn't really think about that either. And this just showed up in my driveway. It's got the supercharged 5-liter V8 that they, I think, developed even before Ford bought them. But that's like... That's their that's their flat six, you know, and it sounds better than any other small or large SUV crossover that I've driven, including the Maserati Grecale mm. Trofeo um, and Maseratis typically do really well on the sound. That's also only a six cylinder. So this is the only, I think, supercharged V8, aside from its kind of sister Land Rover, Range Rover Sport, right, that you can get. And it's so kind of understated. I didn't even really notice it in my driveway. But when you get behind the wheel, it's just a beast. Why do you think we are not thinking about that as an option? To- I think the design is boring, frankly. Okay. I mean, you could look at it as elegant and understated, or sure. you could say it's boring and... Sure. Um, not special, but everything in the cabin I thought was really well done. It's perfectly laid out. It's not interesting, but it's mm-hmm. just very good. And I mm-hmm. wonder if that's just Jaguar has, in, at least in my lifetime, never really pushed the limits, right? They no. It wasn't a sports car, but it was like a big grand tour. The V12 was big and luxurious, but not fast. Yeah, Jaguar to me suffers from a little bit of an identity crisis because it's like, if you want very futuristic technology, you go to Mercedes. If you want super sporty performance, you go to Porsche. If you want, you know, the ultimate driving machine, you got BMW. So you have these like very strong brand identities. And if you ask me what Jaguar means right now, I don't really know. Yeah. I don't know. They could just never really grow. They did have like an interesting history. They had mm-hmm. a lot sure. of race wins, I think, at Le Mans. Um, they had a really cool uh, six-cylinder engine that they developed first. Then the 12, the XJS, has these flying buttresses on the back Amazing that I'm in love design. with. Amazing design. I love an E-Type. Yeah. I love driving the E-Type. Oh, I, yeah. I love the old ones, even the 2 plus 2 that looks a little bit awkward. It's great. Um, and, of course, like the D-Type, just like you say, it has uh, the real... D with the big kind yes, of section these, behind the driver's yes, head. This yeah. is a blue chip type vehicle. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the modern day, it feels like they haven't leveraged that somehow. 
All right. Well, um, I guess that's enough sort of uh, mini SUV crossover talk. No one <laughs> For cares now. Too much we don't want to overdose on Because we have an awesome uh, interview with a woman who is, in a sense, a pioneer in uh, in racing, but it's rally racing. And yeah. not just behind the wheel, but also behind the scenes. Like She has run some of these she events and stuff. won some of these events. Yeah, a lot of the events. I mean, uh, Emily Miller, I think, is one of the most decorated off-road racers, period, male or female, um, and has been involved in this for decades, really making things happen. The first woman to drive solo. And Emily, tell me, you know, as I roll through your credit, credits um if i get these wrong or need to embellish them but the first woman to drive solo from vegas to reno off-road correct yeah i was in the uh, vegas to reno off-road race and i mean you have numerous podium finishes and wins to your credit including the baja 1000 emily started the rebel rally which i have to say i've participated in and it was the best run car event i have ever been involved with or been around period, um, in terms of logistics, people, planning, total organization. And of course, um, Emily has been so uh, instrumental in King of the Hammers as well. And I definitely want to talk about that too. I know uh, you've had some changes lately um, regarding your involvement, but I mean, talk about someone who's been involved in off-roading for decades and has seen it from a lot of different perspectives. Why don't we just start with how you got started? What did you, what got you into this? Sure. You know, it's a, it's a great story. I was, um, I grew up loving cars. You know, I had a dad that, you know, I, I, I loved dearly spent so much time with when it came to cars and, you know, from growing up reading, reading car magazines next to the fire at night, wondering why there were no women who were reviewing cars when I was a little kid, you know, I found those old stacks of road and track and car and driver and, um, to, um, I own a sports marketing company. And one of the things that I was doing is I was working with the tourism authority, um, one of the tourism authorities in Nevada. And I was at a, um, a meeting at the Hera car collection, um, the national auto museum. And it, you know, it's a great collection. And I was in this meeting of the board members and I met this guy named Rod Hall, and Rod Hall was one of the most winning off-road racers in the history of the sport. He had um, the longest unbroken race win string, um, which is 35 straight race wins. He was the only person to race every single Baja 1000 for wow. 50 years and wow. won his class, um, uh, I think it was 24 times. Um, first American to finish the Dakar rally. Um, you know, so he's this legend. And I got to know Rod. And, you know, I, at the time, was producing some really tough-to-produce events for companies such as Red Bull. You know, they always have the great wild idea. And, you know, I got to know him, and he taught me how to drive. And one day, we were on our way to a meeting, and he said, hey, I have my new driver. He was driving um, for General Motors at the time. He had driven for Dodge, for Ford, um, and for Hummer and General Motors. And he said, I have my new driver. And I said, great, who is it? And he said, it's you. <laughs> and I thought he meant, okay, you're going to take these cars and you're going to guerrilla market them, you know, at the events you do. You know, I didn't quite understand. And he said, look, you know, I can teach you how to drive. You're going to have to learn how to win. And, <laughs> you know, I got to see Baja from, you know, 
driving with him, you know, hearing all his old stories to the back roads of California and Nevada and all over to Australia. And, you know, he came and supported me when I was competing in Africa. And, you know, I had this incredible mentor that so many people don't get. So I feel like I had so many incredible lessons fast-tracked for me. I mean, my the first time I actually drove in the Baja 1000, Rod was sitting in the right seat, you know, and we jump in and he goes, I don't think I've ever sat in this seat before. <laughs> and, you know, talk about pressure. But, you know, what was so great is I got to learn from a legend. And, you know, he also had, he had a really great um, statement that really resonated and really helped me because, you know, I own a, a marketing company and production company. And he said, look, it's really, really hard to be a pro driver. Um, you know, only a few people will make it, you know, a lot of drivers out there are paying their way, et cetera. He said, but what you can do with your race experience and your experience on the other side of what you do, you can combine to, um, for great business. And that was really good advice. Um, I was fortunate. I got to, um, be a demo driver and then eventually run his program for BF Goodrich and Michelin, um, where we tr coached and trained people, um, throughout the year. And that was a great experience. So that's where it started from and came from. And, um, then I, you know, really worked hard to take those lessons and apply them across the industry. And I love that. That's, that's I lo a long version. Of that I, story. I just, I just want to, I just want to reiterate. So Rod Hall was in 50 <laughs> It's straight insane. 50 consecutive <laughs> Baja 1000 races and he had class wins in 25 of them. So he had at least um at at his passing in in 2019 the most desert off-road race wins of any human, right? That's crazy. Um yes. And and he was also the only person who has won the overall in a stock um, four by four. Wow. And that was a Ford Bronco. Wow. And that feat hasn't been reproduced. So, and, you know, it's just such a legend, you know, to, to learn from someone like that. Uh, you know, I just kind of, I still have to, I always go back and say, thanks to Rod, you know, for bringing me into this space. You know, I was back in the ski and mountain bike world, you know, and cycling world. And, you know, he just said, Hey, you know, all those skills translate but they translate to four wheels. I was going to ask you, you know, did he ever tell you what did he see in you, Emily, that let him know this person is really someone who's going to be receptive to what I have to teach her? Yeah, he, he sure did. And I also pass that lesson along to other people because I think it's really important. First of all, I never give up. I hate to give up. I work really hard. I love being on a team and I am coachable. I don't believe I have all the answers. I don't believe I know it all. And I also always believe that we can keep learning. And he said, that's what it takes. You know, you have to never give up. Um, and he also said that, you know, sometimes you have to break bad habits in drivers and you have to be able to um, leave your ego at the door and say, you know, I'm not the best at this. You know, I need to work on things. And so he just said, you know, that really made him comfortable to take that time because, you know, he said one of the things he said to me um, in the first days is he said, hey, we're going to go train for Vegas to Reno. He goes, that's the first race I want you to do. And he said, if you 
can't learn how to left foot break in an hour, this will be over. He said, <laughs> oh, yeah, gosh. I won't no have pressure. Time. Yeah, no pressure. He goes, I won't have time to fix all the things that you're going to break if you can't left foot break. So he goes, you have an hour. So part of it is about um, acquiring those skills. It's, un- it's learned. Part of it must be innate, right? Because I've noticed so many people who are better drivers than me or better motorcycle riders or uh, better in fist fights, which hasn't, <laughs> oh, yes. I haven't been involved in a fist fight since like elementary school, but they just have a lack of fear in a way. I can't give nine tenths on a track because I'm afraid I'll crash. And the best riders have to be willing to take that risk at, to some extent. Isn't it true? That is true. Um, I think it's a little bit different in different forms of racing. Let's say stock, driving a stock car off-road, a stock truck, is different than driving, let's say, a trophy truck or a T1 car. Because you do. You, I mean, you just have to put it out all, all on the line. You know, on the track, I believe it's true. You know, you're at Laguna Seca and you need to late break. You need to late break going into turn two into the Andretti hairpin. And you've got to be willing to pretty much put it into the wall and you could die. And so there is some of that. Now, that's what I think the reason why I probably excel more at endurance, because (laughs) I would actually like to live and endurance um, racing in a stock manufacturer vehicle is a little different. It really means that you can go out and you have enough time to be smart. You don't want to lose time, but you don't want to waste time by crashing, breaking, or flatting. And so mm-hmm. you can have a little bit of self-preservation. But when you get into these unlimited classes, yeah, that lack of fear, you know, not worrying about family at home, et cetera, I think that's important. So I think that people can really excel if they find in automotive and or, or in competing if they find the type of racing that works for their strengths. And what's great about automotive and competing is that there are enough different classes and cars and things like that that you can find your niche. I was just going to ask you, you know, for for people who may not be familiar with these different names we're just tossing off, like Baja 1000 and King of the Hammers and Rebel, tell us a little bit specifically about the Rebel Rally. I know this is really... For me, this was how I got to know you and know about you. Obviously, you know, I know that you finished really high in the Gazelle Rally in Morocco. Gazelle, Rebel. Um, tell us about the Rebel Rally and what kind of driving and talent and skill that specifically demands for the people who are really successful. Yes. And actually, I would say that the, the Rebel Rally is actually a product of the things that Rod taught me and the things that I felt were missing and that Rod felt were was missing mm. in the space of off-road and for manufacturers. So the Rebel Rally is the longest competitive off-road rally in the United States. It is for stock manufacturer vehicles, and it's a competition for points, not fastest speed. And it is designed, it is truly for stock manufacturer vehicles, not unlimited race cars. So you can enter in a car in a four by four or what we call X-Cross, which is more like crossover class or an all-wheel drive class. We call it X-Cross. We think it sounds cooler than crossover. <laughs> um, but that event is 10 days. It's eight days of competition. 
Um, it is 10 hour stages per day. Although some people are out there 14, 15 hours a day, <laughs> not on and, purpose, not on purpose. <laughs> correct. Yes. And it's based on traditional navigation. So we say it's precision driving and precision navigating, and it is based on two types of challenges. Um, those two types are enduro challenges, which are traditional, like regularity road book stages where you have to be very accurate on arriving on time to waypoints, whether they are um, marked, they're always marked, but whether they're, you can guess where they are, you know, on the road book or whether they're sort of hidden controls. The other type of challenge, which makes up a lot of the bulk of the points is um, map and compass. So there's no GPS, there's no cell phones. You don't get your cell phone at night. You're cut off for Whoa. eight days It's extreme, and you are traditionally navigating. Yeah. Um, and sometimes those stages, you know, they can be 400 kilometers in a day navigating with a compass and a map and in some maybe book sections. Yeah. yeah. And so it's not like these like stages where half the stage is just getting to the next point. It's like the whole day is a stage. Um, so really demanding. The checkpoints, um, we made our own scoring system. We wanted at highest points, not lowest points, traditional and rally, um, which is lowest points. Highest points is to push people to kind of go for that Hail Mary pass, you know, so you're not just falling off the back and collecting penalties like you normally do in rally. And they're rated like a ski run, green, blue, and black diamond checkpoints. And, you know, I come from, you know, an outdoor world, ski cycling world. So that scoring system of green, blue and black diamond checkpoints really appeals to a lot of people. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, black diamond checkpoint isn't even marked. You have to use triangulation, heading and distance to nail a checkpoint within and it's scored like a bullseye. And this is out so, in the middle of nowhere with no context for anything at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, and, and how do you get found when you get lost? <laughs> you know, you really have to dig down deep and um, it is a really tough challenge. It happens to be all women. And I always say it happens ah, you to could be lead with women. that. I did not know that. Well, yeah. know that. <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, like 60 percent of our audience, you know, are men and they, they all want to do it. But I wanted to build a world class car rally for stock manufacturer vehicles that we can drive at our dealerships. And then I wanted it to be for women because, you know, when I was racing, I was usually one of the only women. And now there are a lot more women in racing and it's, it's great. And I love seeing it, but people say there are so many women in racing and I still go, but 2% of the field. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, we're 50% of the drivers. Why, you know, we have such a profound impact on purchasing of vehicles. Why are we still one, two, three percent of the competitive field? That is awesome. So, yeah, you know what? I'm, yeah, by by the way, I'm looking at um, the website is really cool because it has a sweet uh, video sort of montage of the competitions, I guess, past, and you see participants. Obviously, a lot of Jeeps. I uh, recognize Broncos straight away um, and Defenders, but I also saw a Rivian. Um, I see Hyundai's. Uh, you know, so there are maybe marks that you might not expect are, are there vehicles that typically win do jeeps typically take the top or is it more about you know the driver and the navigator than it is the machine it is the most about the driver and the navigator and their talent however jeep holds the top 
um, rank of number of wins. And to tell you the truth, the highest number of wins were in bone stock Jeeps that were mm. not modified. That's very and cool. which is really cool. Um, this year, the Rivian R1T won it. And Rivian actually debuted their first truck off the production line in the Rebel Rally four years ago. Um, we're going into our fifth year. We really worked hard to pioneer remote, rapid, sustainable power on course. This mm-hmm. year, actually, we powered the EVs with green hydrogen Wow! Um, that was made from solar and wind, um, thanks to renewable innovations. I mean, we've worked hard to build a proving ground for, for vehicles that you can buy regardless of your powertrain. That is cool. I see and, a Ford Mach E as yeah, well. I, so yeah, the well, Mach E was in. Yeah, I wanted to say, you know, what have you noticed changing over the years in terms of the visibility of this kind of race and the involvement from manufacturers and just the amount of money um, for sponsorships, advertising, marketing. Tell us a little bit about how the industry and the off-roading culture has grown since you joined. Yeah. And, you know, I can speak to Rebel and I can, and this is also indicative of, what, of what's going on, you know, in, in places, especially like King of the Hammers. Mm. So what we've seen in Rebel, which is really exciting, is the number of manufacturers involved. Um, it's the one competition where you can compete in an unmodified manufactured vehicle that you purchase and you can win. And it is eight days and it just proves how durable. I always say like the vehicle in our driveway is more capable than we think. Mm -hmm. And you have all this money and research and time that's been spent to test these vehicles. And so, you know, even whether you're in a race car or you're in a stock car from the dealership, you can only drive it up to the level as a driver that it is capable of. And that's what Mm -hmm. you're trying to do without breaking it in the rebel, whether you're in a stock car, whether you're in the Baja 1000 or the King of the Hammers in an unlimited car, you're trying to drive it to the level of its capability. So what I've seen is that I think last year, I believe we had 11 or 10 major vehicle manufacturers that supported programs. Um, For example, Toyota put in the limit of the manufacturer limit of what you can put in. They put in six teams. And they put in female engineers from different divisions of manufacturing, R&D, fuel cell, um, you know, uh, Calti from their parts. It was amazing. And, you know, we have Rivian. They put in three teams. They started out putting in journalists. And that usually seems to be the logical way. And then now it's been so effective to test their vehicles, improve their vehicles, and also to build the teamwork and leadership and, you know, grit skills of their employees. So Rivian put in three teams of engineers Wow! and, and won the rally. And, you know, so that is what I've seen is a change. We have new, I believe we already have three new manufacturers who are the um, new ones? Say, oh, yeah, you can't say. I can't say yet. You know, haven't been <laughs> announced yet, but that are in the rally for this year. Um, the other thing that I'm seeing that is a really interesting change is that they are supporting, you know, I look at Ford, I look at um, these companies, and they are putting in women in these vehicles, not as a token, here's what we do for women. It's because they believe in the rally, the platform, 
and they believe in the women and they're not, they don't, aren't necessarily professional racers. Hmm. They're women who've shown that they're great drivers, great navigators, great competitors, and they're sponsoring and supporting women who aren't the stereotypical uh, woman in racing. And so it's giving a lot of opportunity to women who would normally, you know, who don't have five million followers or, you know, are the one personality in a certain sector of racing. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Zoom out and talk to me about the whole culture of King of the Hammers, Rebel, Baja. I didn't know about King of the Hammers until Hannah. I saw Hannah's story on the Bloomberg. But since I saw her story, a lot more people have been doing stories on it. And it's been getting bigger yeah. and bigger. Do you see that in the industry in general? Is it just growing? Yes. Um, it was interesting. I was involved with King of the Hammers for 13 years. And the reason why I can actually do this podcast right now is because I'm not actually out on the lake bed, um, but cheering them on remotely um, as I plan my adventure to go explore off-road the South Island of New Zealand. But, um, but what I have to say is I worked um, really hard along with the team at King of the Hammers to build a place um, that people could go that weren't really represented in racing. And King of the Hammers, it's similar. People want to do things. You know, they don't want to just watch. They want to do. And what I have seen also with, let's say, King of the Hammers, is that it started out as a place that the, the journalists, the media, they wouldn't come to. They wouldn't cover Why it was that? Is yeah. it because we didn't understand um, it, it or was too obscure? It's in the desert. <laughs> I mean, desert was, cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was obscure. You know, there's yeah. not a five-star hotel there. <laughs> there's not, you know, um, it is rough. It's, tense. it's raw. Yeah. And people thought it was just slow rock crawling. Mm -hmm. And when you get to King of the Hammers, and the reason why I got involved, um, I was uh, a driving and, and sponsored by BFG at the time and, I came out and I saw uh, Brad Lovell and I saw, you know, I went out with Rod 
And we saw this action and I, I saw these guys racing and I went, are you kidding me? This is the coolest action I have ever seen in off-road or really in outside of F1, you know, standing at an F1 track. It is the best thing I've ever seen. Cars flipping over, flipping over, landing on their wheels and continuing on not broken. You know, I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And people want to see that. And I thought it was the most entertaining thing I'd seen. And then I watched, um, I got involved and, you know, Dave Cole, who owns King of the Hammers, had very good vision of what he wanted it to be. And we said, let's go make it happen. And what I think we did is we celebrated not just the top racers that were winning. We celebrated every last person that showed up and crossed that finish line. And built this place that was like Mecca, you know, this uh, this destination, this Burning Man um, type of event for off-roaders that didn't exist, where you watch some other races and you only saw the top one, two, or three, the big money teams. And what King of the Hammers is about is about innovation. Build mm-hmm. it. You know, it started mm-hmm. from unlimited racing. If you can innovate, build whatever you think you can build to win this thing. And what's happened over time, they started slow and now there are cars that can climb up sheer cliffs like this, descend, but then they can also drive 130 miles per hour in the desert to string together the trails. And what it's done is it's spawned this innovation that now, um, you know, it celebrated the little, the person, the little guy, you know, and and woman in the garage with a welder that went, I can make this stronger. I can make this better. And now what you've seen, especially with King of the Hammers, and I've seen it there more than in any other type of off-road racing, is that it has spurred the most innovation in the aftermarket and in even in the mainstream market. You know, Jeeps now have disconnecting sway bars. That's you know? so cool. Um, Emily, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. It's, it's so, I mean... When you see the pictures, it is like Burning Man meets Mad Max. And I think if you're not, you recognize it's cool, but if you're not really looped in, it can be really intimidating to tr- to try to think it even about becoming involved or even just going out to watch. So what do you advise people who say, I know this is cool, I really want to be a part of it, and I just want to see it or even try it. What's the best way to do that? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is, is if you can't get there this year, watch live. (laughs) So there's a great live webcast. And that's what we did early on is we committed to live webcasting. um, So everyone could see it around the world. Watch the live webcast. The thing that's different about King of the Hammers now is it truly is an off-road festival. So there's something for everyone. I think everybody's favorite race um, is the class 11 Volkswagens, you know, the stock bugs, you know, everybody loves that. And that didn't exist before. So watch the live webcast, watch all the racing, and you're going to learn about the cars, the rules, the mods. You're going to meet the teams. And then that can kind of help you find maybe that category that you fit into. There's UTV. There's um, extreme enduro motorcycle racing. There's class 11. There's 1400. Um, There is what's called the Everyman Challenge. You know, and that's for the person who has like that modified four wheel drive vehicle, but not the unlimited cars for the which launched it. So find that place 
and that type of racing that you like. And then I would actually reach out to the teams. I think that's really what's great about off-road. You know, when, and, and you guys know what it's like when you walk into a pit um, in, let's say, on track racing, certain types of track racing at a high level, they don't want you to see anything. They don't want you to take pictures. That's they don't true. want you to give away the secret sauce. Go to King of the Hammers and you actually can walk in people's pits. You can walk into um, Lauren Healy's pit, you know, who races for Ford and look at his car and ask him what he's doing. Cool. You know, how did yeah. he? And they'll talk to you. That's what I love about the off-road space is people work to bring each other up. You know, they say rising tides, you know. It's all um, ships. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. I, I love that. And I think you're right. It is a feeling of community and people are friendly and proud and want to share what they've built and what they're working on, it, it, it does not feel exclusive at all. That's the best part. The, the King of the Hammers is going on now, and uh, I guess, when's the main event? The main event is next Saturday. So it started this past weekend with King of the Motos. It's UTVs this weekend, and which is now the biggest race and the highest number of vehicles, along with the Everyman Challenge. Then it goes into qualifying, and then the Everyman Challenge, and then the big final race called this the 4400 race, uh, the Race of Kings, and that will be next Saturday. And there that are thousands of people out in the desert. I mean, ten. Yeah. Did, what? How many last year came? Um, I believe the number. It, you know, they it tends to range. I think the official number was put out at fifty thousand, but when you actually look at the whole desert around it, it's about probably seventy plus thousand people. Wow, that's small insane. town. It is. It can be overwhelming, but um, it, can it be is intense, worth it. Go, you could say. Yeah, it's intense. There are about one hundred and forty or so vendors. There's a big jumbotron, you know, in Hammertown. The other nice thing too, go in and talk to the vendors. Uh, go into the pits, talk to the race teams. Um, I, you know, just go. I always, you know, people say like, "How do you start?" And I always just say, "Start somewhere." Um, but if you want to be good, learn from good. If you want to be great, learn from great. And the greats are still there. Well, I that's what it. we're doing and, right and now. They Emily. will talk to you. Thank you so much for yeah. joining us. Real pleasure uh, getting to know you just a little bit. And I can't wait. Um, to, I'm going to watch King of the Hammers uh, this weekend and next week. And I'll watch the Rebel Rally, which I think is a 260 days from 250 days from now. So um, really cool to learn about that. Emily Miller, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us. That's going to do it for the show this week. Make sure to join us same time, same place next week. And also remember that you can always send us in suggestions or questions to our email address, which is? It's hotpursuit at Bloomberg.net. Or you can reach out to us on our Instagrams, probably. Yes, we'll I'm Matt Miller, 1973, and you are? Hannah Elliott, XO, two of everything. Two L's, two T's, two H's. But not two X's or O's. No, just the one of those. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Don't overdo it. Got it. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Bloomberg. Bloomberg. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.